1: they're harvesting adrenochrome from children and doing satanic rituals and and they're gonna turn your kids gay or whatever it is now that they're worried about i hope so Um. don't 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 tell them about the agenda
0: (laughs) i'm ducking out you're ducking out let's duck out together see what's all Hi and
2: welcome to Diking Out, the Gamergate of Podcasts, as in G-A-Y-M-E-R, but spelling that out doesn't make it make sense. So I'm Carolyn Bergier.
3: I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with video essayist Natalie Wynn, who many of you know as contrapoints. Hello. I am so excited. Hi. Yes.
2: Hi, Natalie.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Such a a dumb uh intro that I wrote for us. Gamergate. Yeah, Gamergate, yeah. Um, I'm like what? we're putting
1: Whatever. the gay in Gamergate. Yeah, yes.
2: mm. even though I'm still not quite sure of all the nuances of <laughs> Gamergate. I know I feel, no, I'm, I feel not like sure. I'm not
1: sure. I want to do that. I'm not sure I no. want the gay in Gamergate. I think I no. want the Mergate out. Yeah.
2: Yes,
3: yeah. <laughs> there's still time to change it. Do a little okay. pickup. <laughs> no announcements this week. No announcements. We're we're very excited and we want to get into it, Natalie. Yeah. I am in a parasocial relationship with you. I am <laughs> obsessed. I told Carolyn a couple of years ago, like in lockdown, that we should have you on the podcast because that's around the time I started binging your videos. But I wanted to wait and give it some distance because I felt too familiar <laughs> with you and I didn't want to <laughs> feel weird or make you feel weird. So... I let my obsession breathe a little bit and we're doing it.
1: I'm I'm sure we're all in parasocial relationships with each other. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now that you got that confession
2: out of the way, Melody.
3: (laughs) Word vomit up top. Let's get to the gayest thing. Yeah.
2: Carolyn, what's the gayest thing? you did this week the gayest thing I did this week okay the gayest thing I did this week I am uh, in Montreal right now and Montreal is known for having uh, amazing food so I've been going out to eat taking pictures of the food and wanting to be really basic and post it on Instagram and post it on my stories but I stopped myself for the vegans who follow me the oh, queer vegans it's very queer i don't want to trigger them so the gayest thing i did this week was held back on posting photos of like <laughs> the d- <laughs> the yeah. um these like delicious dishes that i know people would get really upset if they saw them uh in my in my feed so i'm sparing your eyes from that as a vegan ally um i think if i were a vegan ally i would just go vegan i know but <laughs> I I don't want to trick anyone into thinking I'm a good person. So I'm not vegan for the time being. Um, Great. Melody, what's the gayest thing you did this week? I'm...
3: Gonna have to say I had our listeners in mind with and our followers as well. With my gayest thing, I have a sinus infection right now. Maybe that's why I came in hot. I'm like I feel like I'm on crack. I'm on Sudafed, but it feel I, I feel manic <laughs> and
2: stuff. yeah, <laughs> the the locked up stuff. And we've all been there with feeling manic on Sudafed. They I do forgot they about it to that. make meth, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it, that's why it's locked up.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, But I posted
3: that I had a sinus infection and so many queer people reached out and told me to get a neti pot, which I've Mm -hmm. been asked to do by my mother for so long. Um, But I I finally ordered one and it came. I did it. I don't know. Neti pots feel queer to me. Maybe it's because everyone and my mom who reads gay has suggested it. I feel like it's self-care. It's queer. I'm grasping (laughs) for something this week. I've otherwise been in bed. (laughs) count it i did rewatch your shame video natalie that one is
2: pretty gay yeah that's
1: that's one of the gayest things i've ever done
2: yeah yeah (laughs) one of my favorites (laughs) well what's the gayest thing you did this week
1: the gayest thing i did this week i uh i I was attracted to a woman (laughs) um (laughs) i no we can do better i bought a new crystal um, oh, okay. nice. That that's, I've I don't really I don't know I don't have any understanding of the the metaphysical properties of crystals, but I do like them. I just I'm attracted to the inherent shininess of them, and there's like a growing <laughs> number of them on my windowsill. So, Same. So I, I guess other because I've mostly just been locked in my house doing video editing, so I guess that's that's the gayest thing I've gotten into.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think to, to um, like persevere through video editing, you need the energy from the crystals.
1: Well, I like to think so. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the moonlight kind of cleanses them on the windowsill. And I feel like that's really does just charging this entire video project.
2: <laughs> yes, I would have thought from the aesthetics of your videos that you have been like into crystals for a long time. There's something very like magical Yes, I've always I've always liked
1: I have always liked crystals. I used to kind of I had like a big like weird collection when I was a child <laughs> and I've uh, now I have like the funds to make it more unre- even even more unreasonably uh out of control. So the crystal habit is well funded. Just yeah. just I shouldn't say crystal habit when we're talking about Sudafed, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this amethyst. I just got a Shungite pyramid. I don't know what that Ooh. means, but it, it's very cool looking.
2: Where do you get your crystals from? Is there like a crystal a local purveyor? There's um there's a
1: crystal dealer in, in Baltimore. <laughs> but I also get a lot of them online.
2: Yeah. I there's only like, want to talk all... about crystals in yeah. terms of like illicit dealings. <laughs> there,
1: there's a lot of Etsy shops that um that do crystals. Okay.
3: So yeah. I got one for my birthday from a Netsy shop for my sister and I looked it up because I had the shop name. They are so expensive. These yeah, crystals. It's, it's
1: an expensive habit.
3: Yeah. yeah. I was um, at a comedy festival in Portland. We went to a crystal shop and one of the comics I was with was kind of buzzed and we were walking out and she had stolen this massive crystal that must have been hundreds i don't know it was huge i don't know how she did it and i was like how is that like good karma how is there good energy no, with no. this from this in- crime i know <laughs> stealing, <laughs>
1: stealing a giant crystal
3: <laughs> yeah unless she's planning on like reselling it and getting the money she's in a bind i was like you got to get rid of that you got to take that back that's bad yeah. juju Yes, <laughs> There's for like sure.
1: A, a lesser known Disney movie from the 70s called The Rescuers, um, which yes. has a, a queer coded villain who kidnaps a little girl and, and sends her down into a well to to retrieve this like gigantic diamond out of the eye of a skull. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah I, remember, I forgot all
2: about yeah. the plot of that. Yeah.
1: yeah. The, it's the, the, the crystals are very heavily involved, if I remember rightly.
2: uh I love that. I, I do think crystals are are very queer, and um, my wife's family. I think to like show their acceptance of our marriage, even though they're they're like peruvian and catholic um they sent us like just this large amethyst as like a gift and i'm like oh i think they probably googled like what do lesbians like and it was like crystals (laughs) it just seemed like such a random they we loved it obviously we welcomed it into our home but um yeah (laughs) there should be some type of like official uh gift guide to lesbian it probably for lesbians um probably exists Shining Lotus is zone. usually
1: pretty safe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the um Bath and Body Works for queer people. Just yes. Kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Natalie, so you've been making a new video
1: for about 6 months,
2: yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. How long do these take from like planning to shooting, editing?
1: Well, it takes a l- It seems like it takes longer every time. And I keep (laughs) promising myself, okay, we're going to go back to the way it used to be. I'm going to go back to 30-minute videos that I was able to do once every month or two. But once you get in the habit of making these like 90-minute epics, it's hard to go back. And I can't seem to control myself. So, I mean, the current project I'm working on... This is this is my my self-care move. I've decided to split it into part one and part two. But okay. that does mean that after like seven to eight months of absence, I'm going to show up with a part one, which <laughs> I hope people aren't <laughs> mad about. But I don't know, like Marvel does this with their movies. So like, right. why can't YouTubers do it?
3: Oh, right, please. right. The longer, the better. I am into it and I'm lo- very much looking forward to it.
1: But yeah, it's it's almost, it takes me almost a month just to edit it. So... You know, the the filming yeah. is usually a couple a week or two. That's the fastest part, honestly. Writing, ta- I'm so bad at writing. I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm bad at it, but I'd, I find it really difficult. I I just I don't like writing. Um, it's I procrastinate all day. It's um, I don't know. I just find it torturous.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh are you mostly like really sticking to script when you're doing these or do sometimes you go off on a little bit of a inspired tangent? I,
1: I try to keep it a, a, a sort of mix. I would say that yeah. most of it, 90 plus percent is scripted, but I feel that you know when you're when you're doing a youtube video to an audience or people call them video essays but i'm still putting my face on the camera i'm looking into the camera like i'm you know like i'm talking to you that as is the youtube style and so in order for that to feel authentic for it to not just feel because sometimes when people try to do this kind of video and they're just starting out and they they, they sort of haven't Fig- I mean, even when I was first starting out, I was like this. It sounds too much like they wrote an essay for school and they're sitting there reading it. Um, yeah. So, but you, you don't want that. That's not the energy you want. The energy you no. want is like, oh, this person's just speaking to you. You're talking. It's the one that it used to feel very casual. And yeah. the one way to, to give it that feeling is to kind of improvise some stuff as you do it. And to kind of like when I film a video, I'll just kind of talk to myself for like two minutes before I even start doing the script. Like a lot of it's just like nonsense. Like <laughs> I'll just be saying like nonsensical things to the camera or just like making cat noises or just, just anything to kind of get into this like flow of, um of like sort of non robotic speaking. Cause I just yeah. don't want to feel like I'm reading someone an essay.
2: Right. And it, obviously doesn't come off that way at all it just feels like so natural and great um Thank you. <laughs>
3: yeah i just realized i called you a video essayist up top and i w- had youtuber orish- originally i didn't know what what do you prefer because i didn't know if oh, youtuber well, was <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I
1: mean, I like when uh, other people can call me video essayist, but I call okay. myself a YouTuber. I don't think I don't know calling yourself a video essayist. It's kind of like I'm an artist. You know, it's it's just it's better to let other people decide if you're that. Okay. Not you know. She's an artist. Know, She's listeners. an artist. It's high art. She's an artist. I'm yes. a youtuber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, youtuber is a stigmatized. Like, well, youtubers have like not really you know made a made a made an attractive public image for ourselves as a group. I think at this point. Um, but I don't know. To me, I, I'm entertained by like the low expectations set. <laughs>
2: a right, right. It's like telling people you're a podcaster. Oh, um, yeah. It could be actually, anything. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The yeah. the range of quality and topics and um, unhingedness. <laughs> the yeah. The range of quality. But we're not going to call ourselves so um, audio lecturers or <laughs> <laughs> professional conversationalists. I'm I don't a know.
1: Social commentator. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs>
2: So for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you talk about your your humble YouTube origins and and how you got from there to having, you know, over what, a, a million and a half subscribers?
1: Sure. Yeah, I started making videos. Uh, well, I started taking it seriously in 2016. And I guess originally I was making videos about politics. This was like back in well, 2016 it feels like th- three decades ago. But right. This was, you know, Barack Obama was president. Donald Trump was running for president. And origin- originally the, the topic of the channel was kind of this like rising, like far right backlash movement, which was really prominent online at the time. Um, like no one was really taking it seriously offline. Like I can remember like spring, summer 2016, having these conversations with people where I would be, I was really worried about what was at the time called the alt right and this kind of like neo fascist, like reactionary, misogynist thing that was happening. And then people who didn't look at the internet just had no idea what I was talking about. They're like, "What do you mean we have a black president? Hillary's going to be president next? Like, like how bad could it be?" Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I feel that the. 2016 internet was just like a series of canaries in the coal mine. Um, So that was the the topic. Over time, I've kind of done videos about all kinds of things. Um, I'm a trans woman and and I've kind of transitioned since 2016 progressively kind of in public on YouTube, which is not a good idea. I don't recommend doing that, (laughs) but I did it and, you know, that's part of the history of the channel, so... There's no going back. Um, <laughs> I talk about LGBT issues. I talk about um, psychology. I don't know. I have, I have sort of an academic background. I was, um, you know, before I decided to to move to the more prestigious YouTube world, I was, <laughs> I was a PhD student. Um, I was getting a PhD in philosophy, but... Uh, I I just couldn't I don't know being an academic is not for me I I couldn't it's it's just a personality mismatch Um, yeah I'm also a
2: PhD dropout so we're kind of the same Oh yeah yeah it's a good philosophy but yeah yeah, you quickly get in and realize that everything's bullshit at least that was my experience that I was like oh none of this is real and we're all it's just all like a weird academic circle jerk and uh I Cannot imagine doing this for the rest of my life and pretending to care.
1: It's such an alarming realization of higher education, where when you just have to like recognize the fact that (laughs) there's just idiots at every level of education and power in this world, and it's like, oh, there's no adults. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know
3: an idiot with two doctorates. Actually, (laughs) there's there's, there's so many of them. Yeah, yeah, bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Your videos have obviously like grown in popularity it's really speaks to how popular they are when you can just name something shame or envy (laughs) and not have to worry about the se or like being topical i guess has there been an evolution in like your i don't know strategy and trying to get that traction because it doesn't seem like you need to be strategic at all anymore with your following. For sure.
1: I mean when I first started out I think I did need to make video titles that were sort of um, you know we're going to bring in new viewers because they're not going to write. The channel is called ContraPoints. If you haven't heard of ContraPoints you know you're not going to click on it because of that. But I feel like well it's almost like a weird flex at this point is to give like your videos anti clickbait titles. Like when a yeah. video will just be called Shame or Envy or something which like that is you know, on a website where you're competing with like, I tested how many drops of blood a shark would come attack me with. Or, <laughs> or, uh, I'm sure we all watch that video, or like whatever. Like, it's um, you know, story time. Like, I, I don't know. I guess at this point, I'm relying on the fact that enough people are sort of in the habit of watching my videos that they'll watch a video I make, even if the title sounds boring.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're into it i mean you've referenced your subreddit in your videos um and i was curious do you ever yeah like, do you dive so in there sorry. like i'm just it only came to mind because i'm thinking of just how popular you are and you know there's a very active subreddit dedicated to the channel um do you like to look at go in squinting and <laughs> I,
1: occasionally, I occasionally still check in i think yeah. i kind of decided at some point it's it's not really the healthiest thing to be reading about yourself all day. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's it's definitely tempting, right? I think that being a kind of public figure, I'm sure you've grappled with this too, being a public figure online or someone um, that has an audience, like it's kind of like being granted this superpower to overhear what everyone is thinking about you, which (laughs) is at once like kind of horrifying, but also really tempting like right. because you I don't know you want to know what people are saying about you that's just <laughs> I, I feel like the inherent human curiosity you want to know what people think about you but uh once there's a kind of limitless supply of opinions like you can really overdose on um with a kind of bad habit I think so I try I try not to spend too much time reading what people say, although I still do a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I I read YouTube. I read YouTube comments, which everyone says not to do, but I don't know. I want to know what people are saying.
2: (laughs) Well, I think like a lot of times too, we we talked about this a little bit in a recent episode with uh, Dylan Marin, who does conversations with people who hate me. And I think a lot of times people will say like hurtful or mean or like very critical things, but not actually mean them. And if you were ever to push back a little bit and be like, oh, do you seriously think I'm like a um, toad face horror? Well, like what, whatever it is that that they're saying, like they'd be like, oh, actually, no, I don't think that like um, I was just having a bad day or like something done. You're like, oh, OK, then why'd you write this like really mean thing? But like when he would ask people that were saying that he was like um, just this like awful stupid, ugly, homosexual, and they'd be like, no, actually, like, you're very handsome. And like, um, like, I don't have a problem with gay people. I was just angry by like, one little thing you said.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of like, freeform aggression kind of floating around online. And you do <laughs> right, um, make yourself a, a magnet for it when, you know, and, and, and it's not like, evenly distributed like if, if, right. if you're a woman it's worse if you're queer it's worse if you're not white it's worse like there's, you know so I, I guess I'm a, a little bit reluctant to just dismiss this all. always oh it's just trolls yeah that's kind of true but also I think it has a sort of disproportionate effect on certain people yeah.
2: oh yeah
3: yeah I for mean sure. like on the dating apps I remember when I was yeah. hetero curious and trying to mm-hmm. date men for the first time and getting on okcupid okay I would get very racist like, Durka Durka Jihad, one guy sent me once. And every time yeah. something like that happened, I would start to say, Walk me through that thought process behind that message. <laughs> and they literally would. They're like, I see you're Middle Eastern, even though you look more packy, in my opinion. And uh it reminded oh, me an of an intellectual. Yeah, <laughs> Like <we> really <laughs> thought he did something <laughs> like that's my new thing with angry, like DMS, like walk me through this. <laughs> yeah, it
1: reminds me of how like Twitter now has this feature where if you type, I don't know what keywords will trigger this, but if you type in a really aggressive tweet, Twitter will post, will pop up a little message that says like, mm, are you sure you want to tweet this? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah which, which I think is great. But uh, yeah, I, I do wonder when people send messages like that, like, I don't know. Do they think? Is it just? You're, you're right that yeah, d- dating dating men on the apps is it's like, yeah, just scraping Oof. the bottom. Yeah, Yeah.
3: barnacles.
2: <clears throat> Speaking of criticism, in your um cancellation video, which I love and I recommend everybody watch it. What what's with the anime of it all? Like why? <laughs> why is every <laughs> avatar and and we get that too like like any, and we genuinely like our most, talked about this and wondered out loud yeah our most negative theory. ones yeah. it's yeah. always it's always an anime avatar so we're like
3: yeah it's and way we're way afraid to the, talk about this right now on the record we i think we have <laughs> brought it up and edited it out but we need to get to the bottom of this. Oh,
1: Why is it anime profile pictures? Well, <laughs> no. I think that anonym I mean, there's the element of that it's anonymous, right? Like that's sure. sort of basic. Like anonymity emp- empowers people to have n- not just not face any, re- you know, accountability or responsibility for the things they say, but also to have a subjectively a sense of the like that this has not attached to their public persona in any way, and so. Almost, maybe it's not even attached to themselves, right? They're able to act in ways that they or- ordinarily wouldn't. Why anime? Um, yeah, that's that's really an eternal mystery. I don't know. I think
2: <laughs> it's just not. Fa- it doesn't seem fair to anime or fans of anime that yeah. <laughs> like that they're uh, that they're like characters are are being uh, hijacked to form these mobs to cancel
1: like the full political spectrum too like you'll get like nazi anime avatars <laughs> yeah, you'll I, get like i don't know like angry queer teenagers who are anime right avatars. Get, it's like it's everything and, and i don't know why but the most aggressive people all have some kind, kind of like ooh anime girl it's i don't know
3: yeah I don't the know. colorful Like the images are so bright and bouncy and colorful, and always paired with the most hateful shit. I get genuinely (laughs) nervous when I see an anime avatar. Now, at this point,
1: it's like it triggers this like limbic system like clenching. Like, oh god, what's here comes? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's this um trauma response to seeing to seeing the most innocent cartoon characters. Yeah, it's
3: (laughs) what did Sailor Moon do? To (laughs) (laughs) that's my only reference i have no frame of reference actually yeah but
2: i see it a lot (laughs) i know that you've had to do a lot of uh or not that you've had to but you've chosen to do a lot of apologizing based on certain backlash Do, do you ever have you ever regretted apologizing have you ever i cuz like i know in real life like even just normal things nothing having to do with being canceled where somebody will be like you upset me you did this and you're like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry and then later you're like wait a minute i didn't need to apologize <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that a lot of, there's a lot of bad faith criticism online. I don't actually regret apologizing for anything. Um, I don't know. I feel that my perspective has actually shifted a bit since I made the video about canceling. I mean, I still uh, agree with, especially the first half of that video. A lot of what I said was basically an analysis of the kind of weaponization of like social justice accusations as a way to bully people, which is, like, a very common for, like, this is, like, teenagers on Tumblr do, have been doing this to each other for 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, y- you use it as basically, um, I mean, it's 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 just a kind of morally... Just seemingly moral way of bullying people, right? Is you like assemble this like list of every little transgression they've ever committed and you use it to basically say they're a horrible person and that justifies you treating them however badly you want to. I don't know. I try to be careful with this because it's so easy to kind of appropriate like this language. I, I think if I were to remake the cancel canceling video now, I probably would have not called it canceling I would have come up with some new term because it's so easy to t- for for people to kind of take your critique of the, the bullying side of this and to turn it into like, oh, the woke cancel culture mob on Twitter with their blue check marks is silencing me and you can't say everyone anymore. I was just sitting here innocently trying to talk about the supremacy of the white race and all these woke ideologues, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So like, I, I guess I'm... It makes it hard to, t- to talk about <laughs> when people actually are kind of misusing the, the strategies of like so, so of social media accountability to to basically do ostracism and shunning um, in, in a very like high school kind of way. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know. I guess when when I, when I say that my perspective has changed since I did that video, I guess having some. A, c- a couple years now to kind of cool off and sort of detach and, and watch other people go through the similar kinds of experiences mm-hmm. is that it's just sort of inevitable that if you are visible, if you have a high profile, you're going to attract criticism and there's going to be haters, and there's going to be people who, um, you know, misunderstand you and there's going to be people who lie about you and, Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've watched people kind of be destroyed by their obsession with setting the record straight and, and responding to the haters and feeling like they need to constantly be out there defending themselves. It's almost like a mindfulness meditation kind of thing that I've developed of just practicing letting go and not, and and just letting people lie about me and just like letting it pass. Right. Because it's never going to stop. And, I think that getting obsessed with it and constantly trying to clarify, constantly trying to defend yourself, well, for one thing, it often only just makes your critics more visible, right? Like right. it's sort of, it kind of, you sort of allow your public persona and what people see is what you are tweeting or what you are posting. So if all you're tweeting about, all you're posting about is your haters and your critics, then all people are seeing is, is hatred and criticism of you. Um, right. And then I also just think that um, this kind of tendency to to, to be defensive about criticism can, I don't know, I've seen it turn people into, like, even if they weren't necessarily like hateful people to begin with. They sort of become hateful people right Like like I don't know JK Rowling when she first started tweeting about trans people, I don't know if she hated trans people in 2018, but she definitely does now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think part of that is that, that she, she, because she, you know people get sucked into this obsession with their critics.
2: Right.
3: Yeah. I love that you call her Joanne on the J.K. <laughs> Rowling video, by the yes. way. And I've since started calling her Joanne. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I feel like that's really caught
1: on. I, I feel like I see a lot of people call her Joanne now.
2: <laughs> I love that. No, the, the same thing happened. And granted, like a very different mm. issue. But I feel like like Louis C.K. like mm. really pivoted to become <laughs> like like performing for alt-right audiences and like now all of his fans it's so different than what it was before because the the criticism like he got so defensive uh about it that he was just kind of like a big middle finger to everyone who you know um had a problem with with what he did with his like predatory behavior and uh leaned in the other way and it's like oh that sucks even more
1: Yeah, I feel like I've, I've in the last few years, I feel like I've watched this happen again and again and again. Where a person does something bad, or they, or sometimes they don't even do something that's that bad, but then they they get so obsessed with their critics and so obsessed with needing to constantly fight back against what they perceive as this like oppressive mob that yeah. it becomes like their defining thing. And yeah, I, I guess. I guess watching that has made me really kind of like introspect and just be kind of conscious of that as something to guard against in myself. Like I've, I have friends I've told like, don't let me ever be like this. Like, like, <laughs> like, 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 you right. know, like we, we need like a safe word. Like if I'm starting to <laughs> yeah. act like, if I'm starting to act like Dave Chappelle, please like throw a oh, bucket God. of water right. at me or something. Oh like, God. Yeah. Don't let me be one of these people who gets so obsessed with, no, actually, I'm not wrong. It's everyone else is wrong. And, and I'm so unfair the way this mob is coming from me. Like, I don't yeah. know. It, it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's like a third of all public figures. Now that's the only thing they talk about. It's, it's a social media disease.
0: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt.
2: But that right. it feels like too though that like you can't win like as mm-hmm. <laughs> like as a content creator like you, you can't win if people you know say stuff about you if you defend yourself if you don't and then it's like there's always gonna be like you can uh, never you can never say the right apology that's gonna appease everybody. like did you notice from I guess a, a numbers standpoint because with your Patreon I guess you actually have like data points on cancellation, right? Like yes. after people got mad, you could see like how much it dropped off and then after you spoke about it and broke it down, like did it go back up? Like I know it's not an an exact science, but
1: I think this is actually an important thing to talk about um because I think it really contextualizes the level of outrage that people have about cancel culture. So I have never gotten a bigger boost in Patreon support than after I made the canceling video. Some people will say that I did it on purpose. Oh, so this is all, you know, my grift, right? Is
2: to yeah, can't the, win. It, is oh, the it. grift tweets, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: is to play the victim and therefore to get support. Um, no, I didn't intentionally do that, but someone could intentionally do that. And I do think it's worth keeping an eye on the fact that, right. I don't know, I actually feel conflicted about this myself. Um, Sometimes I, I look at the, you know, boost, the boost of support I got from that and I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's actually the reason I want to be supported. Like, I feel like it's kind of like, I'm being attacked by the radical left, like blood money, in a way. Right. Like I I, I mean, I do appreciate right that people like want to show like support of someone who's like been the target of like a massive like you know ostracism and shunning, harassment kind of campaign. Which I think I was. I mean, I mean, I was like I I have you know hundreds and hundreds of tweets documenting it. Like, but I think that. Um. A lot of times this, you know, the social media outrage, especially if you're already an established public figure, I think it sort of doesn't materialize consequences as much as it does actually for someone who isn't a public figure. Like, I don't know. I've seen people, like, people on a smaller level can lose their jobs because their workplace is being harassed and, and things like that. That actually concerns me more, I think, than, like, this YouTuber is being mistreated, which, yeah, YouTubers are mistreated and that's, and that sucks. But, you know, I try to have a perspective about it.
2: Yeah.
3: Do you have any incels in your Patreon that work their way in there to cross enemy lines? Do
1: I have incels? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think a lot of, um, you know, especially back in like 2018, a lot of the kind of audience that I was building at the time was a kind of like de-radicalized Uh, audience like I guess I mean here's another thing I have mixed feelings about now a lot of the audience that I built back in 2017 2018 it was men who I had kind of talked away from the edge of Mm. whatever like reactionary like misogynistic backlash movement they were about to join Um, I think that it's a skill is to, to be able to kind of talk to men about issues like feminism or uh, like, you know, trans rights, um, gay rights in a way that doesn't make them feel attacked. And that's really the trick, isn't it? When oftentimes the mere mention of these topics will make people feel attacked. So if you can talk to them in a way that doesn't make them feel as threatened and yet still like willing to listen to the point of, of, you know, actually internalizing some of it, well, it's kind of an important sweet spot. I think the the downside of it is that if someone is kind of on the cusp of some just some kind of rea- reactionary bigoted uh, ideology, uh, it's not something that disappears overnight. And so there is like a little bit of discomfort I, I have sometimes with certain portraits of my own fan base that I think are like not as de-radicalized as they think they are.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: sometimes it comes out in ugly ways.
3: Yeah. I mean, and you go to those ugly spaces to research, obviously, like mm-hmm. on 4chan. Do you get in this dark headspace? I just, if I've done deep dives in those forums and felt really depressed afterwards, how do you bring yourself out of that headspace when you're like lurking for research purposes?
1: Crystal. Yeah, Crystals. Yeah, that's true. true. Well, I should have discovered that earlier. But um, (laughs) no, it definitely takes a toll. Um, I mean, I think I when I I was doing a video by Incels a a few years ago, and this one I really noticed the way that spending all this time in their forums was like my brain was getting infected by this nonsense, like this vocabulary. I mean, it's actually infected the entire culture at this point. Like We all all know what a chat Mm -hmm. is. They yep. they did that to us. We we, we let it happen. <laughs> um, like, uh, it's definitely something that I'm much more cautious about. I, I used to have, I used to be arrogant. I used to be, I used to think like, oh, I won't be affected by, but yes, I will. Everyone will. If you mm-hmm. spend time like reading hate forums, it's your, you are opening the doors of your brain and you're, and you're letting that stuff in and you, you you really have to be careful and keep an eye on it. Watch how much time you're spending on it do aftercare you know yeah. it's 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 important or or it it really can be um like a kind of digital self-harm
3: yes exactly that mm-hmm. and it was your incel video that i just recently revisited in preparation for mm-hmm. this that really yeah. got me thinking about that and brought me back to like in lockdown. I really went there. And also after the insurrection, um, found myself on 4chan, 8chan, trying to get in the minds of these people. And it was really hard to shake as an empath. I don't know.
1: Yeah, there's a curiosity that leads you to it. Like, I think that to, to me, there, I have well. This is not a, a very original attribute. I think most people have a kind of morbid curiosity. That's why like true crime is so popular as yeah. a genre. All these like podcasts about serial killers. People are interested. Like you, there's like there's a curiosity about the darkness. It comes from not about not necessarily a terrible place. Or right? it comes from a desire to. Pour light into the darkness, and to and to to know about these things, and so when you live, you know you see like the, the January sixth insurrection, for example, you're like, okay, how is this happening? Well, how did this happen? And that curiosity then leads you into like QAnon or whatever, and right. you know even if like I take it that none of us are susceptible to being persuaded by that, but still you end up just reading a lot of hateful garbage, and then. You're kind of carrying it with you.
3: Yeah. I mean, you see family members, or at least in my case, Mm -hmm. um, or an old friend who is what I thought was a kind nurse who is now like a raging anti-vax QAnon question everything. Like, I'm just trying to understand the people in my life who have been so radicalized. But I, I, I give up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that. I mean, I think that's like a very universal experience at this point. Is that we all know right. people who have kind of, and it, and I think this got about five times worse during the you know COVID lockdown years, as social isolation leads people into like these more and more pathological rabbit holes of like quote research, which often involves basically like allowing themselves to be indoctrinated by cult maniacs
3: yeah that research it's like confirmation Mm -hmm. bias and cults yeah
1: (laughs) and like stoking of fears and anxieties and like Mm -hmm. um well i think there's like a reason why the anti-vax thing is is so often a target of this um i don't know i've been thinking about anti-vax lately well the government's telling you to do it getting a vaccine is an injection. It's kind of an inherently invasive thing. It's like, you know, needles, there's like the penetration of your body. Like, like, so it's, it kind of not, that act itself triggers anxieties about like protecting yourself and the boundaries of between your body and others and like trust of the government in a for-profit pharmaceutical industry like there's anxieties there that that sort of makes sense but mm-hmm. but they're easily hijacked by Charlatans by grifters literal grifters right. Alex Jones types oh, who yeah. right right who kind of stoke your worst fears say that yes it, there is a dark agenda here and you know they're harvesting adrenochrome from children and doing satanic rituals and, and they're going to turn your kids gay or whatever it is now that they're worried about.
2: Yeah, I hope so. No. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shh, don't, don't, don't tell them about the agenda.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like also, I mean, you took, how long of a break did you take from Twitter a couple um, years ago.
1: Oh, it wasn't long. I mean, wasn't. I I think I I think I was genuinely gone for like four or five months. Um, okay. I, I think there was a period when I was using it only to do like you know post videos or post you know interviews or other other things that I'd done. Just basically use it for self promotion, which is honestly probably the best way to use Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But, but now, obviously, on some level, I love Twitter because I can't quit. So. I don't know, I guess there's just this little, little dopamine hit that you get from, like, the instant feedback and just the pleasure of, like, blurting out your thoughts into the ether.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it I was just wondering, because, like, I feel like uh, Twitter has is like such a toxic place and i i like spiraled out on it a little bit because then it was like how how many of these like people that are making me mad are actually like bots or like not even real people and then i'm like spending minutes you know even even if it's just seconds of my day like getting angry over something that's like not even like a real person not even a real thought and there's just like so much like sewage to wade through on twitter to get to like that clever tweet from somebody that you admire (laughs) to see that. Um, So like I, I've been on Twitter like a lot less this past year and I feel like my mental health has been so much better for it. So I was curious what it would be like to take like a full on five month break and be like, all right, I'm going back in.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think it does waste a lot of time. I think it's, it's, it's good to take breaks. I'm like this week. I've, I've been, I've been doing good at not tweeting. Um, trying to stay focused on, on the video. I don't know. I guess I I ultimately end up though, when I, when I'm away for long enough, I ultimately end up with this like FOMO, this sense of like, Oh, but I need to keep up with the discourse. Like, right. um, Right. I don't know. And on some level, I guess I I live for the drama. Like I, (laughs) I can't, I I, want to know like what wild stuff is going on. Um, because it is like, I don't know, there is like genuine fun to be had. I mean, Uh, It would have been sad, I think, if I had been away last week and I had missed, like, Tucker Carlson's, like, The End of Masculinity (laughs) (laughs) documentary preview where he has, like... Look, I mean, how, what 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 am I even seeing with my eyes? Talk about I think the gay was, agenda. Yeah, the gay agenda. Right. This is a man <laughs> who constantly is whining about like the, the, the right homosexuality being pushed in media, and then he makes a documentary about masculinity that has like l- naked lumberjacks and like UV lamps like shining at a at a naked man's like dick Genital, and or both. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like that's it's just it's you just can't make it up. It's it's just so good. <laughs> What was
2: that light shining on the the genitals? Like what?
1: So I actually don't know. I haven't okay. even, I haven't done the research, but I I think I think I can guess. There's like a fringe belief in some like manosphere internet circles, the kind of like internet man who's very concerned about his testosterone levels, there's a belief that like you need to expose the human scrotum to sunlight. In order to, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind it's like Gwyneth Paltrow's, like, yonic crystals, except Mm -hmm. for, like, reactionary, like, masculinism. Okay. Um, And (laughs) so it's a kind of, like, it's a kind of, like, neo-mystical, like, um... <laughs> sort of, sort of men's move, almost like eighties, like nineties men's movement type belief that you that you should ex- expose like the male genitals to sunlight to I don't know to rejuvenate, to charge, to to, to increase fertility. It's 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 not really very scientifically precise. But it seems to be more more on the level of, of, of putting your amethyst in the moonlight,
3: right? Yeah. Right, and call uh, it bromeopathic or what was it? Yeah, that's
2: bromiopathic.
3: Yeah, bro, bro, it's testicle mm-hmm. tanning, mm-hmm. bro. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing all these men like hanging outside naked and being like nuts for testosterone. Like yeah,
3: le- like legs open at the sky. Yeah, like, yeah. I- <laughs> okay. It's quite an image. Yeah, you got to be on Twitter for that stuff. I don't I even know. tweet. I go I for know. the drama. I, I can't know. tell you how many regional rural disputes I've found myself going through. You know, like high school right. fights, like friendship fallouts. I don't know. I uh, I don't. I have no biz I don't tweet. <laughs> I just go there to scroll and sc- mindlessly until I find something super juicy. Do
1: you enjoy the scrolling? Yeah that's good
3: yeah i can't i mean i don't feel great after i look at the clock and i'm like wow that was three hours gone in a flash <laughs> and now i know why everyone's mad at each other but i still don't know why <laughs> like, like i don't know
1: yeah I, f- I don't know i feel like it's not inherently bad as long as you find a way that that, that brings you to happiness and then, then i think it's okay for some people yeah. that means tweeting and not reading for other people that means scrolling but not tweeting
2: yeah yeah you're,
1: you're a scroller
3: yeah I'm a I'm a yeah
2: I have to tweet and not read because like I felt like I was seeing stuff from like liberal people in my life who I really like and respect sounding like really unhinged and being like are you okay like for example um a couple weeks ago somebody shot up a train car in Brooklyn and somebody I know on Twitter was like, well, I watched some of his videos and it seemed like he had some valid points. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why? What is this empathy for the shooter? And it was just like so much of this like outpouring of like leftist empathy for for the shooter. I'm like, yeah, I I think you guys have overcorrected. I know. I know we are abolitionists, but like this is.
3: Yeah, it's usually the left that's frustrating me uh, more than the right these days on Twitter, um, and that I try not to get. That I will lose my mind reading, and especially yeah. if it's like uh, leftists in my life that I know and have to face <laughs> soon well, after it's reading. It's
1: like you know, proximity is more frustrating. You're more frustrated by what your neighbor is right. doing than than what by what's yeah. on the other side of town. Like so, right, and it's also just I don't know. You, you, you want to think that like people who are sort of in your vague political camp are not going to act like psychos. So when they do, it's like, I don't know, there's like an element of like cringe, like you're embarrassing us. Yes. And then there's also just like, I don't know. I I've, when I see people, yeah, on on the left, like doing doing wild stuff, like I don't know, having so much sympathy for mass shooters said
2: that that is like <laughs> not there
1: to like I don't know people who are in jail for for drug possession or whatever. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It does like fill me with a sense of doom. Like, oh, it's hopeless. Okay.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, let's talk a little bit now about parasocial relationships. How has your experience in terms of like starting out um with i'm guessing a you know decent size following and then is i i feel like a lot of them start when people kind of get in early right on a creator they're they're like a fan from the beginning and you're like oh this is really cool this person wants to interact with me uh like through social media um yeah i'll talk to them and then like as you grow and then they seem to attach more. I mean, maybe that's not always the case, but I feel like that's kind of my understanding of how parasocial relationships Your usually experience form. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like n- nobody is sending you know Jennifer Aniston a DM and she's engaging at this point, you know. But like, had social media been around, like right when she was taking off, parasocial relationships would have been more of an issue for her.
3: Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess if she's responding to the DM, that's the point actually where it sort of stops being parasocial because there actually is a
2: reciprocity. Um, Oh, that's true. Yeah. I I guess I think I actually messed up the definition of parasocial relationship. Well, it's, it's confuse. It's really confusing. Yeah. 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 Let, let, let's let define it.
1: It's yeah. It's like, I guess it's hard to define. There's so much discourse about this that I feel like it's actually, it's kind of a, a little bit overused of a term. Well, maybe not overused, but people do kind of talk about parasocial relationships. Like it's this inherently pathological thing, like it's abnormal. And, and, and actually I think it's like almost universal. I think yeah. that most, I mean, Let's try that. Let's just try this out as a definition and see if it works. Like, like maybe a parasocial relationship, it's a unbalanced relationship where there's an illusion of intimacy between a a spectator and a performer, um, where the spectator feels like they have a personal relationship with the performer, but it's the, 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 You know that illusion is maintained by them seeing the performer, you know, and seeing the performance. But the performer doesn't actually know the spectator; they don't know anything about them. It's just generic audience from the performance, from the perspective of the performer. But each individual spectator kind of feels like they are developing a personal relationship, and they have you know social feelings for this person that that sort of resemble the feelings that you might have for your friends. I think this. I think it's totally normal to have some level of this. Like I, I mean, I watch YouTubers. I the YouTubers I really like, and I've listened to hours and hours of their content. Like I'm not delusional. I understand they don't know me, and they don't know me personally. But I still feel this kind of um, sense of intimacy of of knowing this person. Um, and I think that, I don't know, anyone who listens to podcasts probably has some of this, right? If you're listening to, to a podcast in your car, you sort of feel like you're in a room with people and you're hanging out, like you're talking to friends, you know, it's this this illusion. So uh, I don't think that's inherently bad, but it can kind of right. become bad when people get overly dependent on parasocial relationships, or they become delusional and and feel like they're entitled to reciprocity that doesn't exist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I have gotten emails, we've gotten emails uh, from people who live in uh, areas where they don't know anybody who's queer and they'll say, you know, I feel like you two are my only queer friends and I think like, good, I hope you can consider that's better than you feeling like you have zero queer friends. Like yeah. I, if you feel like we're, we're there for you, you know, once a week and we provide like some feelings of like comfort and, and joy for you, that's that's great. Like, I think that that's a really cool thing that we do. And, and I guess when we had like a smaller following, I. Didn't realize like maybe how problematic it was, but one time, and I'm sure they're like the nicest of people, early on was invited to somebody's wedding. And I thought like, wouldn't that be crazy if we just like went to their wedding? <laughs> like, It'd only get crazier after that. <laughs> I know, I know. We didn't, we didn't end up uh, going, and this was with my like previous co-host, but I'm just like, what were those people thinking like inviting... Us to their wedding Like did they really think that these like strangers Were gonna come you know um.
1: Yeah that's when, that's, when, that's when someone like the, the sort of sense of Reciprocity becomes Like th- they feel that you must Have feelings about them Because they have feelings about you Right I think that this happens even more intensely For people who are queer um, So I would imagine that yeah. you g- Get a lot of this because I think for a lot of people being gay or being trans or, or or being whatever letter of LGBT, like is an experience of intense loneliness um, because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, you know, there's people who don't, they live in, in parts of the country where that's, it's just an inherently isolating thing. And so those people go to the internet and they look for this kind that, of, you know, this part of their life to be sort of, uh, Validated and and to be understood and to feel like there's this connection and so I think people form uh, like really intense parasocial relationships with um, you know especially queer creators and and like I don't want to shame it like like you said like because I think yeah if they feel like they have two queer friends because they listen to your podcast that's a lot better than them feeling totally alone like so right. it's I, I don't want to malign that because I think that it is valuable but. At the same time, well, let's put it this way: there's hundreds of people on the internet who call me mother. Um, oh. I hope I'm not breaking anyone's heart here, but I am not, in fact, their mom. And <laughs> I, so I don't—I'm I don't, not quite sure what to do with this. Sometimes I kind of play into right. it and I say hello, children. Uh, you know, but, yeah. but but I'm doing this with a sense of irony. But it makes me a little nervous because I yeah. think, um, you know. A lot of these people also are being kind of ironic, but sometimes the irony sort of exposes a half truth where these are people who need, they want, they need a mother, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm there. And so (laughs) it's a point of tension, I think, for me and something that is just sort of ambivalent. I don't think there's a clear like, oh, this is bad or it's fine. uh, It's complicated.
3: Yeah, you just sort. Of, I was wondering, how do we manage it? How do we deal with it? Mm-hmm. But it seems like you don't. You just tread lightly and try to self-protect and maintain boundaries. Yeah, but maintain boundaries that work for you. There's no clear-cut way to manage this.
1: Yeah, and I think. Well, I don't know. I, I guess you, I think there's like more and less like ethical ways of navigating it. Like I do think it's possible to kind of get to a point where you're sort of exploiting people, where you're like. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I think uh, I, I guess I wish I had a good a good example off the top of my head, but uh, I feel like maybe in the earlier days of YouTube, a lot of you know content creators who were sort of part of networks so they were getting sort of inst- advice or instructions were we were being told explicitly like oh like always interact with your fans like they're your friends mm. and then get them to buy your merch because you know you know what I mean there's this kind of like so I guess to me it's, it's, uh, the more ethical way to deal with it is to sort of acknowledge you are you are kind of keeping people company but you don't know them and so there there is like a boundary that needs to stay up um
2: yeah yeah yeah, I, f- I feel like I've never done it in in that kind of a a way. That's like, oh yes, I must do this so that they give me money and and like yeah. buy my. It- but it's always like when people interact, I'm like, oh, like this is really sweet. I'm really thankful for the fact that they that they listen, and I will engage. I will engage with almost. <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I engage with almost anybody. You do over and yeah, <laughs> yeah, to to a point where I definitely like probably over engage like you know um last night I, w- I was at a at a restaurant, and um the waitress came over and was like, "You have um some fans here, and they wanted me to tell you that they love your podcast, and blah blah, well, I could have just like waved and." Smiled instead. I went over, sat with them, asked them what their names were. It was one of their birthdays. I like saying happy birthday. Took pictures with them, and like you know, and and it's fine. And I like and I like doing that. But like to a certain point, I'm like, is, is that too much? Am I being too much right now? Like,
1: I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's inherently bad. I mean, I used to do that kind of stuff much more. Like, I actually used to be well, m- much more fearless for a while. Like, I would straight up have like fan meetups where. I, I mean, I would just we've done that. It's like inconceivable now that I would do this, but I would just Hey, I'm I'm in Vancouver, I'm at this bar, like come out and say hi, you know. Um, I mean I've actually met people that way who like I then went on to become like actually friends with. So
2: Right. But that's the tricky thing though, because then when that happens, because I do feel like there are a lot of listeners who I see out um, who are in New York and they're, they're patrons. And I genuinely like really like these people and it makes me really happy to see them out. And I do like, you know, want to know what's going on in their their lives and have formed a relationship. Mm-hmm. But then like, does that create hope for other people who might be a little bit more like, Oh, I have a chance to be like friends with this person, which is like, no, no, I'm I'm like good on friends. I don't, like, please don't try to befriend me just because you think we're already friends from, because you know all about my life on this, you know?
1: Yeah, there's people, well, there's, uh, yeah, there's sometimes people who like feel that like, oh, you don't know it yet, but you are destined to be close to me. And sometimes that's, the, you're destined to be my <laughs> friend. Like, I just know that you would love me if you met me. And sometimes it becomes like sexual or romantic. So yeah, I, I've actually, like, I'm sure this, I'm sure. We're all like, hot. We can't help yeah, it. I don't know. It's really Sorry. hard.
2: I'm, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> that there's like some kind of, I'm sure there's like scholarship about this. And I'm sure that. I mean, I'm sure people who are are doing, like, um, you know, OnlyFans or who are doing camming talk about this, too. But, like, yeah. it doesn't stop with parasocial. There's also, like, I've never... I think I'm the inventor of these words. Please give me credit. Um, but, like, para, <laughs> like, para-romantic or parasexual Ooh. relationships that I yeah. think are also becoming an increasing, like, part of people's... a lot of people's online lives. Um, I mean... I, I, there's definitely people who are in my audience who like have a persistent belief that I'm going to date them once we meet.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and
1: that's. I mean, that's. I think that's probably it's delusional. I mean, I think if for people who are sex workers, part of what they're doing also is like is a para, is like cultivating this parasocial relationship thing, where in exchange for money, they're creating the illusion of erotic intimacy. Um, and again, I think that's okay. As long as everyone's like knows what's happening.
3: Right. They rely on that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Engage, get the merch. Like, I mean, I subscribe to some people on OnlyFans and I will get, they send messages, um, that seem very personal, but they're mass messages like, Mm -hmm. Hey baby, like, um, new exclusive video just for you, you know? And I know what's going on. I feel like I'm media literate, but I think of all of the, especially men, I don't know people who can't make that distinction and really have, um, those para sexual dynamics that could be like blinding. And I just don't want them to lead to any like safety issues. Um, all right. Yeah. They probably have to be the most mindful.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, I'm sure, I mean, I think that's just an inherent kind of career risk there. Um, I, I do think that probably most people are aware that there this is a fantasy, and, and I think it's fine, but there's always going to be, right, there's always going to be a subset that, lo- like, loses that distinction.
3: Do you see and, how little faith yeah. I have in men? <laughs> well, that's, I
1: mean, the faith has but not they been they don't learned. get it. Yeah. They don't get it.
3: Well, I think the end part of that
1: is because, like, they are, have a harder time putting themselves in the other position. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think one reason, like, why, like, men are so weird to women online is that there's, like, a failure of empathy, right? They can't... They don't know what it's like to have, you know, people act towards them, the way they're acting. I mean, like, look the way that, like, queer right. women are so, like, anxious about, like, oh, I don't want to seem, like, predatory or weird. Because it's, like, yeah, because right. you know what it's like when someone's doing that at you and you don't want exactly. to do that. But I feel like a lot of straight men, in particular... Like, they don't have a pre- reference point and personal experience of someone treating them like that. And so, like, they have no sense of when they've crossed the line. Right. It's, yeah. They're not even worried about it.
3: Unless it's a gay man approaching them. Then they get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but somehow they don't, they don't make a connection between that and the way they act towards women.
2: Right. <laughs> right and and then also like i guess this sense that people are like feeling like they know you and you know the the you that you present as counterpoints and in these videos that you know take a lot of time or very um thoughtful about like what's in there what what's not like that that's not a full portrait of who you are as <laughs> as natalie and then people they just like the podcast even though it might seem like um you know like i i think we're pretty authentic on this podcast but it's also not like a 360 um picture of of who we are no i overshare and i'm way more
3: candid and then i'll get messages like referencing and like pontificating about issues in my personal life with like unsolicited advice and diagnoses and it's just that's where I get uncomfortable like my persona is not who I am in my day-to-day
2: yeah people are making like assumptions like they know who you are yeah right well I think all of us kind
1: of do discuss things that are some are fairly intimate on you know on our podcast, on your podcast, or on my channel, um, right. I think in in a, in a kind of paradoxical way, it's actually kind of easier easier to divulge your like d- d- deepest secrets to like a camera and then post it to the internet than it is to tell like your actual friends and family. Oh, um, for sure, yeah. And so that I think also intensifies this sense of intimacy, where like the the people who feel that they know you, like they're not entirely wrong. Like they do know a lot about you and they do know what's going on in your head. More than my mom. Yeah. Yeah. More (laughs) than your mom. Right. Exactly. But then if that does get weird when they start offering feedback and it's like, wow, like this person is commenting on something that is like super personal and it's because I shared it online. But the fact now suddenly like the weirdness of me sharing that online is like highlighted by the fact that this like (laughs) pretty personal thing is being like, you know, Analyzed yes yeah. yeah
2: but then on the flip side and this is where I feel like I, I let things go too far like um, you know sometimes people will message me with like hey you mentioned that you were having like an issue with this um, this is my experience with it and like this is just how I see it from my perspective I'm like oh my gosh this is actually like really helpful thank you for <laughs> like... sometimes
1: fans are so good <laughs> like, yeah. like I've yeah. gotten some like emails and things they're just so insightful and, and smart and like grounded like so it's, it's not always like i don't know I, I, that's why i i, I hesitate to, to be to be all super condescending about the way that we talk about parasocial relationships oh not at all yeah i yeah. think that um sometimes that that's the tone that people adopt but yes yeah, so no sometimes sometimes viewers of my channel will, will will write in with like legitimate insight that i hadn't thought of um right and that that's cool
3: um yeah listen, shout out to the physical therapist who helped me with my back and neck issues. Like I get so much good feedback too. And that like really helped me in a major way. Um, so it's no, just, I, it's case by case. I
2: think most of our listeners, yeah. Like most of our, our listeners and I'm sure like most of your viewers and most of your, your patrons Natalie like you're super grateful for you like they probably seem like super rad people um and then it'll just be like the occasional like person who either like feels like they're they're owed something that where you start to be like uh uh-oh like trouble and makes you kind of want to like retreat back or kind of question your your choices yeah
1: Yeah, and, and I think like I don't know Often this discussion, I feel like the people who end up like getting anxious about, oh, are they crossing the line? Like so often, it's always like the people who need to worry least who are worrying the most. Yes. Like, exactly. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. If
2: you're listening to this and you're like, "Are they talking about me?" Yeah. No. Probably no. not. Yeah. It's the person who like does not see it. <laughs> yeah, right. Who's like, "No,
1: I'm definitely not crossing a line." Like, I yeah. They whole, need this. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, no, sometimes I'll get messages from people. who's like, it's like, hey, like I like I don't want to be too parasocial, and I really hope that I'm not. Like, blah 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 blah. But I just like your channel. And it's like you're no, you're not being too parasocial it's, it's fine um, yeah and then yeah that there's a person who's not at all worried about that who's just
3: speeding
1: over the lines
3: yeah yeah well you keep us posted if you figure out any <laughs> best practices
1: I mean same like it's it's I think it's just a constant well hey, what do you think about this do you ever feel like a kind of reverse like parasocial relationship like to the audience because i feel like that's Mm. something that i have experienced where like i actually find myself developing feelings for the idea of the audience like in a way that's I don't know, like sometimes I'll post like a picture to, this is like a this is an embarrassing thing to admit, but like I'll post a picture to Instagram or whatever, and like the, all, there'll be all these comments being like, Wow, you're so beautiful and you're so amazing and you say so, and like I it fills me with this like genuine like warmth as if I'm actually being loved by a person. Yeah. And then that it feels good, but then I'll like step back for a second, I'll be like, mm, that's weird. I'm having like this like, borderline like sensual experience with 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 a crowd of anonymous strangers. Like for sure. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do with that? Like
3: Roxy heart. Uh, right. It's like, yeah. and they love me for loving them. And I love
2: yeah. them for loving
1: me. Some of the love is real. Like there's like a real emotional yeah. like, dimension to it. Uh,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. That's real. <laughs> Right. Or like we'll mention some random like offhand comment and be like, oh, no, well, we already mentioned this. Surely you guys remember like just something. So like to the minutiae we obsess over. I'm like, they remember everything we say and
2: they'll know. Right. Right. We put a lot of expectations the whole
1: time. We've been talking for for days.
2: (laughs) Meanwhile, somebody somebody will be like, oh, I can't believe you haven't talked about. Like this thing, I'm like, we just talked about that for like 20 minutes, and they're like, really? I just listened to that episode. I was like, okay, maybe people aren't listening like like we think they are. No, <laughs> they're, they're not like... in the edit bay. Like, <laughs> no, like really, on the replay with it. Right, right. Except
1: sometimes they are. Like, I don't know. Right. I've had this experience. I have this experience sometimes, like meeting people who watch my videos, and like they know my videos way better than I do. Like, oh yeah. They'll be like, yeah. they'll be like quoting my own videos at me, and I'll be like, that does sound familiar but i don't remember when i said that
2: oh yeah yeah i mean especially like we put out weekly episodes so some people will like say a quote and and i'm like oh with which one of us said that like what was the context i I don't
0: rarely
3: remember remember what i say and it will be quoted back to me like in my dms i don't know (laughs) i did have to talk myself down from welcoming you onto the podcast we're going like hey sweaty (laughs) and just like (laughs) parroting back things (laughs) (laughs) You hey, on- <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let us begin. Like, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> like uh-huh. just hurling impressions at you. I was like, don't mm. do it, but then I just did it. <laughs> well, what's funny
1: is, like, I don't know because I feel like on my YouTube channel, like, obviously, I'm being a much more, like, sort of like, relaxed version of myself now, but like, in my videos, I feel like I'm being so theatrical. But, like, people, that doesn't seem to decrease people's sense that they know an authentic person, right? Right, right. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 they just like, sort of take the theatricality at face value. Like you're Oscar
3: Wilde in your yeah, day-to-day. And that's what they
1: think. But wouldn't that be yeah. annoying? I don't know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would be
1: annoying if I was like that all the time. Like you
2: throw a supper party and, yeah. like, that, so you're just sitting there in a chair when everybody like, arrives. <laughs> like, yeah, like
1: rating? I don't know. I, I think,
2: yeah.
1: I think, I think I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that all the time. I think it would be annoying, but I do, I do sometimes feel like I'm a a disappointment to people who have seen my videos first because I don't know, they're expecting someone who's like a little bit more, um, I don't know, oratorical (laughs) than I actually am. Like I'm a pretty shy person in real life.
2: One last question for you. What is one part of straight culture that you like to appropriate? If You could pick anything any part of straight culture (laughs) Uh,
1: the shamelessness of it
4: yes that
2: the the lack of self-consciousness
1: in public I would love to be able to appropriate that
2: (laughs) yes wow that's That's the best answer yeah we shouldn't even ask this anymore Uh, what a great (laughs) answer (laughs) all done (laughs) We do need to wrap up, but I'm curious: where can people follow you and and watch your videos?
1: Well, I'm Contrapoints on YouTube or Natalie Win. Um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, uh, and pa- Contrapoints on Patreon for crowdfunding, and and that's basically it.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time to dike out with us. This was, yes. so this, was, this was a lot of fun. Such a
1: delight on. This is this is a lot of fun.